You're listening to the Exhibitionist Podcast, brought to you by InspiringExhibitors.com and ProExtra, a wholly owned division of 12 Man Solutions Limited. Hi and welcome to episode 8 of the Exhibitionist, the podcast. Thank you for tuning in and we are delighted to have you listening once again this week. If you're anything like us, you will have had a busy start to 2019, but in a really exciting way. We are delighted to be working with a whole host of new clients, uh, including Maco UK in preparation for the Fit Show, with the Department for International Trade in the east of England, helping their exhibitors get ready for a whole programme of international trade exhibitions, and also with Auto Mechanica, the show in June at the Birmingham NEC in the automotive trade, where we will be helping out at their exhibit today with some uh, training and workshops. So welcome on board to all of those new clients, and uh, we are delighted to be working with you all. So today's episode, we'll be handing over shortly to an interview we did with Emma Cartmel, and Emma is the CEO of CHS Group, uh, and that's a company that puts together venues with event organisers and really puts hospitality at the heart of everything that they do. But during Emma's interview, we talk quite a lot about ROI and about how exhibitors can more effectively make the most of the investment that they put into events that the CHS Group run. And it's a really timely interview because we actually received an email this week from someone who didn't want to make themselves known, um, but who was asking for our help on their trade show trouble, which was around ROI. And basically in their email, they were asking us, whether it was even possible to measure ROI as far as trade shows are concerned because they're continually challenged by their internal management team and senior team about how can you demonstrate that face-to-face or trade shows are returning to the business at the same level that other marketing tactics such as digital or TV um, or any other PR means uh, are generating. And it's the million-dollar question that we get asked so often by clients and in workshops that we're running. So can you measure ROI for trade shows? Well, ROI is actually just maths. It's just a number. So as long as you've got numbers, you can do the maths. But this is kind of where it falls down for most exhibitors. So if you start with the I of ROI in terms of investment, and that's knowing exactly the budget that you've spent, and the word I use there and emphasize is spent, not the amount you're planning to spend, but the actual investment that you made. So start with that number, and think about how much are we actually going to put into this trade show. And if we got nothing from it, could our business bear that loss? If we spend 20, 30, 40,000 pounds on a trade show and we don't get one bit of business back, is there any risk to our company from doing that? So starting with that investment number. And then as part of the planning process, it's about thinking, what are we going to measure to make sure that we can actually determine whether we've got any return? And for some companies, that will just be a straight figure in terms of cash and the business that you've done. But trade shows these days, which we all know, are no longer about generating business on the day unless it's a big consumer show where you're selling something. Most of the B2B trade shows are about building relationships. And some of those sales are going to come in the next 6, 12, 18 months, perhaps. So to try and generate an ROI figure before that six-month period is really difficult because you just won't know whether you've done any business. But being able to create a follow-up plan and a measurement plan as part of your pre-show planning so you know exactly who you're going to attract, who you're going to follow up with, how you're going to follow up, and how you're going to measure what business has been returned, then enables you to start to calculate an ROI figure. But that's the bit that most people forget. 
And the real heart of that is setting SMART objectives. So in short, without giving you our whole workshop, what we are saying is, yes, of course, ROI is definitely one that you can measure. It is just maths. So therefore, all you need is numbers. But if you're struggling to get to the numbers that you need to be able to generate that ROI, why not give us a call and we can help you with your trade show trouble? So if generating ROI is just all about the numbers, how do you effectively get to actually having some numbers to calculate and to do the maths with in the first place? Well, that's all about running a really effective trade show where you're at the right show for the people that you want to meet. Those people know you want to talk to them and you're communicating with them before the show. You can identify them easily when they arrive at your stand. You have a really engaging conversation that solves their problems. And then you agree to follow up with some really clear actions. Simple? It really isn't. It's tough, hard work doing trade shows. But now I'm going to hand over to a conversation with Emma Cartmel, as I mentioned, from CHS Group, who will help you understand how you can more effectively run your trade shows and share some of the advice that they give to exhibitors that are investing in their own events. So over to Emma. So in this episode, we are delighted again to be joined by um, Emma Cartmel and Emma runs the CHS group. Um, So we're going to have a really good conversation today, mainly about driving ROI and how exhibitors can work harder to make sure they're getting the best possible returns they can from their exhibition. So welcome to the show, Emma. Hi, nice to be here. So before we get into chatting to you, can you just give our listeners a little bit of a background about your role and your organisation? Yeah, so we predominantly organise events where um, hotels and venues get the opportunity to meet their potential clients um, in the mice industry, so meetings, incentives, uh, conferences and events. So our main event is an exhibition, a trade show in Leeds, uh, which about uh, 250 exhibitors and about a thousand people attending. Okay, and so tell me then, what have been the hot trends for venues this uh, this year? Then what have buyers been looking for when they've been wanting to book venues for their events and meetings? I think a lot of it depends on who the uh, the, buyer, the client is really. If it's direct, they're obviously uh, well. I think no matter who it is, they're looking for that personal relationship. We're getting more and more into a world where things are becoming more online. Uh, you know, people going through to call centres where what they really want is that contact they can pick up the phone to and just have the conversation. And that's why trade shows are still such a big part of the marketing mix because that's the only time where you can really touch base with a large number of clients in, in one go. In terms of venues, we find the trend is still increasing towards the independently owned venues. We specialise in helping independent venues find more, um, win more business. And the... You know, if you're an agent and you have clients and you're placing, you know, you're organising events for them, you want to go to them with a great, great venue that's not really been heard of or a new venue or something that's a little bit quirky. And that's where the independent venues really come into play. It's really interesting to hear you say that because it seems as though there's a lot of venues that are entering this space that aren't the traditional conference centres or big hotels. And so it's getting more and more competitive. What can venues do to really make themselves stand out in what's becoming quite a crowded market? And the hardest uh, job that venues have really is getting, getting in front of the right people and then getting those people to see the space because event organisers tend to be more creative, not always, but tend to be more creative. Um, I know that I can walk into a venue and I can just visualise an event and sometimes it takes the venue to come first 
for you to get an idea and you might not use it for months or years later when you just get that client brief and you just think I just know the perfect space for it so but it's it's hard you know time um is is poor you know our people are time poor so the agents don't have a lot of time to go and see these venues it's a bit of you know chicken and egg but when they do they really sort of can conceptualize what they can do in the space yeah it's it's interesting again to hear that we've just spent a couple of days down at excel going to a, a number of different um exhibitions that are down there um and there's this real desire for kind of experiential and visitors who are going want more than just a three by three with a few shell walls and some graphics. And that's, I think, perhaps where the venues can really stand out is that they offer something so different to the kind of big footprint of just halls that can do quite, quite a limited set of um, services, really. Absolutely. And I think one of the um, fears that people have is that, um, sorry, is that they, they think that that has to cost a lot of money. And it doesn't. It just takes the time to prepare and be creative and think about what it, what the messages that you're trying to get across. Because the one thing I can't bear is sort of um, experiential thought, experiential sake, when it hasn't got anything at all to do with your brand or anything at all to do with your venue. So if you think about, OK, what is it that's, you know, what's our brand, what are our values, what we're trying to get across, then the creativity should come from that. I prefer that than starting with creativity and saying, oh, how can we make a big impact or how can we get that wow effect? Because people will just walk by it or you've got to be careful not to be too intimidating or not too confusing. So yes, people want to do something different to the standard three by two, but you can still be very creative within that space. Absolutely. But as you say, always with that kind of relevance in mind of what it means for your proposition, we, again, this week have just seen a couple of examples where people have put kind of crystal maze grabbers where you're grabbing gold tokens and in an air tunnel and you just think that's nothing to do with your brand it might have got people there but it's doing nothing to help sell your message but actually it's taken up two-thirds of your stand so it's um yeah. it's got to be with that relevance yeah I think it all depends on what you want to achieve you know and and I think things like that work if all you want to do is you know collect data is get people to your stand you know have have some fun get you know scan their badges and, on, and and for some people that is actually an objective that they that they have if you've got a marketing campaign coming up and what you need is to build your database not so easy now with gdpr but if that's what you're trying to achieve then a big attention grabber on your stand that just gets people there might work for you but that has to be your objective if your objective is building long-term relationships or being a thought leader or you know launching a new venue and trying to get people to come and see that venue then a big attention grabber isn't going to be is it going to match your objectives? It's so refreshing to hear you say that because we work so hard with our clients talking about objectives. And exactly as you say, it is okay for you just to collect data as long as you know what you're going to do with that data when you've collected it and that you know, you've got a purpose for it. But just standing there scanning badge after badge after badge and then thinking, well, what do we do with all this now? Doesn't really get you any value out of a trade show at all. Why you know we've spoken before about um, you know the it's all about the planning that's that's where the gold is the planning not not the day itself and if you're thinking oh yes we'll just get all these badges it's it's not good enough because you've got things like GDPR you've got things like okay that relationship people still even without GDPR still people still want to know why they would have. Um, you know, been on your database or, or what have you. So it has to be thought through, okay, like you say, why are we collecting this data? What we're going to tell the people about why we're collecting this data? What we're going to do with the data? How we're going to, you know, you maximize it, you know, within the um, the laws that, that we can use data for. And it's not, so again, it's just 
you know, scanning data on the day is easy. Anybody can do that. It's all about the thought process that goes before it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a lot of your time, I guess, is spent with exhibitors who are going to be at trade shows or, or events where they're trying to um, attract potential clients and uh, potential event managers. So what really frustrates you most where you think exhibitors could just get so much more value out of this event, but they're just missing it? I think there's something on the, there's, you know, I mean, there could be lots of things. And sometimes it's a tiny, it's just about attention to detail. And in fact, I think the biggest barrier for exhibitors is actually time. It's, it's not necessarily knowledge. It's, it's about actually setting the time aside. So there's pre, during and post show. So pre-show, there's a million and one things that exhibitors could be doing. But that gets, it creates overwhelm. It just creates chaos. And the reality is they should be doing a few things very well as opposed to getting overwhelmed by all the, all the cool things that they could be doing. So again, it's really clear are really important to be clear about what it is that you're trying to achieve, what's the end game, what's the outcome, and then say, okay, if we want to achieve that, what are the critical drivers to get there? We have to be at the show, what we're going to do at the show. To get that to happen at the show, what do we do pre-show? And it's probably just a few things that could be done really well without trying to do a big scattergun approach at just telling everybody anything and, and hoping, hoping for the best. So I think that pre-planning is is really important and you could probably just spend half a day with your team just thinking that through and then you'll naturally do a few a few things that that's in alignment with that during the show you still see even you know now people not engaging with people on their stand um even our own show we had one of our uh, exhibitors who is fantastic um on the stand and she said to me She'd seen somebody about three hours in, started chatting to him, and he said, you know, you're the first person I've spoke, spoken to me all day. And it's like, how is it he's been here for a couple of hours and nobody has gone out and engaged with this guy? And, and it's, it is difficult for some people, but there's ways of doing that, and it's about putting the right people on the stand so that they can engage. And if you have really bubbly people that don't mind, sometimes physically, literally jumping out in front of people and chatting to them and getting the conversation going, you can then hand them over to the person who has all the details, who can actually share the information and get the brief off the people and listen and, and do all that. It's important to have different people on your stand doing different roles. And you still see people uh, at, at all different shows on their phones, eating, talking amongst themselves and, you know, or just, uh, you know, reading because, you know, the show. And then, yeah, I see other people. Um, we had a, a guy exhibit with us a few years ago and I was just watching what was happening. And when he when his stand was quiet, he was going into the main coffee area and literally just chatting to people and dragging them back to his stand and saying, bring your coffee with you, I'll talk to you, I'll show you what I'm doing. And it's that energy about not, I think it's you know taking responsibility for the fact that I'm here for the day and I need to make the best out of this. And if there's nobody walking by my stand right now, I will go and get somebody and talk to them. Yeah. Do you know, it's, it's again, so refreshing to hear because um, we have a lot of the themes you're talking about are things that we bring out in the workshop all the time. And, you know, it's very much if somebody isn't the right person to be on a trade stand, then don't feel you have to take them to the show. So don't let your squad pick you. So you really think about who are going to be the best people. And it's not always your salespeople. Sometimes they can be a little bit too aggressive, a little bit too assertive. And maybe somebody who's on the phone in telesales and customer services can be better at just talking to people and, and cold calling, cold chatting to them. 
than somebody yeah, who's used to, having, you know. Yeah, again, those different roles because you do get people to your stand who aren't right for you. So do you want to block your, you know, your top salespeople up with those people? You need to be able to guide people away from your stand as much as you need to be able to attract them to it. And you need to, and you don't have to be rude. Uh, you don't have to, you know, you can be polite, but you can just say, actually, yes, please, you know, do give your details and we'll be in touch after the show. But right now we're here to meet um customers or, or what have you there's there's ways of doing it and protecting your key salespeople from having to have those conversations and, and missing out on the real ones that, that you need to have and then of course the good old um post show follow-up the best <laughs> advice i ever heard because it, it's so difficult and it's it, it's time you just you have all these leads and unless it gets there's two things you can do one is allocate it to somebody who has it is their job to do that kind of Thing. Uh, like you said, somebody who might be doing telesales who can just add that to their list of people to ring regularly and filter out, uh, filter them out. The other thing is to actually, when you plan the days in your diary to go the week later, plan a day in your diary as if it's a meeting that you cannot get out of, and that's your follow-up day. And you have to treat it as you know a board meeting or a client meeting where you're going to win a you know the biggest project you've ever ever won. You've got to sort of give it that same importance uh, to do that follow-up and again with technology now we can grade um your, your leads so that you're, you're following up the ones that are most potential and putting the ones into a autoresponder follow-up campaign you don't have to be physically on the phone to everybody but you have to have that that campaign and, and things like you know certain campaigns you can put in place beforehand and then just feed the data and then it goes automatically you don't have to sit at your desk and do it yourself yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here on the other end of the line, just nodding my head to everything that you're saying. And um, quite often when people are going to international shows, we'll say, you know, maybe get a later flight home than you intended to and just use that time in the quiet of your hotel room or the, the hotel lounge when everybody else has gone, but your head's still kind of in trade show mode. Because as soon as you get back to the office, you're checking your emails, you're dealing with all the customer queries that have come in, you're trying to pick up on the day job. So exactly as you say, giving yourself that kind of space and time to really think about you know, I had, a, I know what I'm going to say to all these people now, let's just put my campaign into action. And, and then it's done and sorted by the time you do get back. So I've been, I've been to traders before where I've given somebody a firm inquiry for something and they've not followed up with me. And it has been, I've given them exactly what I want, numbers, deadline, you know, if you can get a quote to me, the, you know, the order is yours, nothing. Yeah. And it's, and it's frightening, you know, in that. It breaks my heart. <laughs> what a waste of investment that show was for them. Absolutely. I mean, I think the statistic is 13% of leads ever get followed up, yet 50% of visitors state that they buy from an exhibitor within 12 months. So you can just imagine the amount of business that's lost through those leads just not being followed through. It's, it just seems crazy when you put all that time and effort and work into it, not to then yeah. just make contact with people. Yeah. yeah. So just going back and thinking about the pre-show marketing, we talked about kind of all that work that can go in upfront to make sure that you you have a successful show what do you think are some of the quick and easy things that exhibitors can do before the show to make sure the clients and the visitors that they really want to speak to are putting them on their must-see list so it's already you already know you're going to be seeing people at the show i there's a number of things you can do and some of it is around that sort of the general marketing letting people know where you are and your stand number i'm a big advocate of actually contacting your current clients and your target clients and invite them to come and see you at your stand and there's a lot of people there's, there's, we've talked about this before around there's a 
school of thought that says, no, that's not my job. I pay to go to an exhibition to meet new people. It's not my job to get people there. And there's people that see what I would see in, in that case, which is if you're not inviting those people, somebody else might be. So all that potential is lost. If they're your current clients, yes, you might think if I invite them, they'll then go and see somebody else. But the reality is those other people are there anyway. They can get them, you know, um, find them on the internet. It's all about that relationship. And if I went to an exhibition and I was invited by a supplier, then I saw my current supplier there, I would think, well, hang on, how come I've been nurtured by these people and I already work with you and you don't, I don't matter to you. So I think it's important to really think about, okay, if we could have 20 really valuable conversations, who would they be with? You know, and even then, you know, we would encourage people to say, that's who you want there. Tell us, we'll invite them for you. If you don't know who they are or you're hitting a brick wall because you want independent venue that they haven't got time to see, we can go in and say, look, we have a lot of venues that we think might be useful for you, particularly this one. Why don't you come along and see? And we can do it from a different angle. So I think if people have more of an open mind around all this and start to think about who they want to see there, and invite those people and take them for coffee, etc. On the you know on the stand or invite them to the stand and take them away, you know, off for coffee. I think that's one of the most valuable things you can do to make sure that your day or two or three days is a really good investment of your time. I think it's interesting. There might be some listeners who are listening to that thinking, "God, only twenty people, only twenty valuable conversations," and it's. It's something that we deal with a lot with people who say, I just want to meet everybody. I want to meet thousands of visitors. And there's the, the resource you would need to follow that up with. It, it's, it's astronomical in terms of the sales force you would need to actually follow up with thousands and thousands of visitors. And I think really it's about, would you rather have 20 valuable conversations with people that you know are in a position to do business with you and are a fairly warm prospect before they turn up on the day? Or do you want to try and filter through thousands of randomers who are never going to buy from you? And, and I know, think, 20 is plenty. Exactly. If you break that down, if, if you call a valuable conversation, even 15 minutes, that's a very quick coffee, 15 minutes. So that's, you know, four in an hour if you do them back to back. That is five hours. That's a full day at a trade show doing those 20 appointments. So, you know, and you couldn't physically keep that up. You couldn't do 15 minute appointments. Unless you're at an event, um, for example, uh, like IBTM that I'm going to next week or the meeting show where it's set appointments and they are 15 minutes long then it's slightly different. But if you're at a trade show where it is just um, people coming through, then um, that, that's, that's a full day of someone's time doing those 20 appointments. And like you say, would you rather have 20 good appointments or a thousand people just collecting their data? And I think that again comes down to having different people on your stand who've got different roles. So you might have the one person who's there, the sales director, who has got those 20 appointments in the diary and that's their job to be there. We've got some free time so that somebody in the team, the sales manager, might say, oh, let's me introduce you to the sales director for hot prospects. So you've got them doing the, the new call, you know, the business development type conversations that are much quicker. And then you've got your telesales people who are bringing people in and, you know, doing the jumping out of people and getting people off the stand if they're not relevant. It's all about the people you, you have on the stand and what, you, what jobs you've allocated them all. 
Yeah. Assigning roles is brilliant to hear you say that because I think everybody sort of thinks they've just got the same job to do, which is speak to somebody, get their, their contact details at all costs and add them to a list somewhere and somebody else can work out whether they're valuable or not. But it's, you know, whether you've got a technical expert, whether you've got somebody who's dealing with press and PR, whether you've got somebody who's dealing with their existing customers come and maybe they've got an issue they want to talk about. If you've got a new launch, you've got existing customers that you want to upsell to. You know, so everybody having a slightly different role but understanding what their role is in that team. And sticking to it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's the hardest bit. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And not stealing kind of prospects off each other as well. Isn't it? we just, it's like not that. Job. You know, if your job is doing one thing and then you go off and do somebody else's job, then no one's doing yours. Yeah. So it's say that this is and yes, okay, you might have a really hot prospect and your sales manager and sales director are in also in great meetings. It's a lovely problem to have. Of course, you're not gonna say, you know, can you just wait there because my job is to go and grab some more people. It's to keep that person chatting until the person's free, you know, finding out as much information as you can about them and what their, you know, what event for us, what events are doing, what their brief is. Um so I think it's important to understand identify the roles understand them put the right people into each role and stick to them as much as is possible on the day so a slightly controversial question here but um can you measure the roi of trade shows depends what you're measuring because if it is purely did we win any business then yes because as long as you're tracking it then yes and it's again it's a, but it's a tricky one because it depends on your lead times so if you're um, a huge exhibition venue for example and you tend to be working two or three years ahead you do an exhibition in year one and in 12 months you've won no business then of course not because if your lead times or you know you might be nurturing people to win business three or four years in advance so I would say absolutely yes you, you can but you've got to be clear on what you're measuring what, what ROI means to you and we fall into a trap of thinking ROI is simply have we won some business from this event and how much have we won compared to what we invested in it. And that's not a bad measure because we're all in business. We all want to know, you know if you're going to report in. So I, I say to people, when they're setting their objectives or when they're going for budget, be realistic about what you're asking for and be clear about you know, what realistic you're going to get within six months, 12 months, a year, you know, two years, three years down, down the line. And then think about, okay, yes, if you're going to, if you invest £10,000 into it, so you want £100,000 back over X period of time, then what's it going to take to do that? You know, how many, how many inquiries are you going to have to, or RFPs are you going to have to do to get that amount of business? Are you looking for one client worth £100,000? Are you looking for 10 clients paying £10,000 each? So what's the makeup of that £100,000 ROI? If we're looking for 10 clients, okay, we might need to do 30 or 40 pitches, um, depending on what kind of industry you're in. If we're under that many pitches, then we need to see, you know, at least be 100 really good conversations. So that takes into account the, the 20 that we talked about earlier, you've got to multiply that by five. Okay, what, what do we have to do? If you're a venue, or if you're a, your average order is £100,000, you need one, then you're going much more, you know, it's, deeper and saying okay so who is that one client now that we're you know that we're targeting is that you know let's let's find 10 people that could give us that and let's really homing that honing on them mm. and, and it's and that's that's where all your your planning comes in to say what are we trying to achieve and if you just say it, we just want to win business we just want ROI then no you're not going to be able to measure that against what you've against what you've set and you never unless you win a massive contract that gets everybody giddy 
you're not going to really see the ROI because you're not going to have anything to measure it against. Yeah, absolutely. And that last point you made, you know, unless you win a, a massive contract, those don't really happen at trade shows. Somebody's not going to randomly walk in off the street, come and find you in amongst everybody else, having never heard of you before, and then go, yeah. Oh, actually, yeah, I've got a quarter of a million pounds to spend. I'm going to spend it with you. Let's do the deal right now. It, it just doesn't work like that. So, you know, even though the government trumpets Farnborough Air Show saying, oh, we've done however many billion dollars of trade today. You think, oh, those deals have been worked on for years, absolutely years. So. Uh, absolutely. And, and it was, in fact, Farnborough Air Show, I don't know if I've also mentioned this to you in the past, is that one of the things that inspired me about organising exhibitions, and, and I was doing um, generic events at the time, and I was on the way to Farnborough Air Show, we had some clients going that we were representing, got chatting to a guy on the train, and I said, oh, you know, what, what you're going to farm before the air show? I said, oh, you know, what you're looking for? I said, I'm going to buy a 747. Said, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Walking to farm <laughs> air show in the 747. But like you said, was, he hasn't just woke up that morning and thought, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to go and buy a 747. And, you know, I'm just, yeah. all that. <laughs> what he's actually going to do is meet the people to make sure he has that connection with them to sort of say, yeah, okay, let's, let's do the deal and, uh, you know, whatever point. So, yeah. A lot of deals are done there, but but not just on a whim. It's it's all in the planning. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, without naming any any names, <coughs> say that again. Without naming any names, the worst exhibitor behaviour you've ever seen at a show. Oh, oh, uh, packing down early. <laughs> it always happens. Ah, uh, yes, absolutely, and. Um, in fact, I had to close an exhibition once early because somebody was doing it and they refused to stop. And it was a home and garden show and they had a greenhouse made of, obviously, of the glass and they were removing the glass from the oh. um, from their greenhouse in the middle of an open show and they refused to stop. And it, was, it, was, it wasn't mega early, but we had to kind of clear the area to make it safe because they refused. Um, that was in my very... Uh, it wouldn't happen now because, you know, I'm going back 20-odd years. So it's... It, you know, it wouldn't happen now and my health and safety guys would be there like a shot, um, you know, telling them, you know, how it is kind of thing. But yeah, I think just packing down early, even if you're not causing a danger, then you are still missing out on the opportunity. You are being unfair to your fellow, fellow exhibitors because you're making the show look almost closed when they're still trying to do business. If you're on a shared stand, you, you're letting people down. It's It's just, and you just don't know the amount of people that tell me that they did a deal in the last 10 minutes of a show yeah because it is quieter you can have much more deep conversations some people will run into a show for the last hour purely because it's quieter mm -hmm. they don't want to fight their way through the through the crowds so there might be less people in the room at that at that time but they're, they're the people who really want to be there and they're there for a purpose because they're looking for suppliers. If they're there just for a, a jolly, they'll be in and out in no time. They won't sit to the bitter end. So, yes, yeah, so that's my book there, setting down early. <laughs> uh, and it drives us mad. We, um, if we're ever doing exhibitions for ourselves or, or on behalf of clients, between the team, we tend to have a bit of a wager of, you know, what's the earliest time we're going to see somebody, somebody packing down, yeah. down and, uh, you know, they tend to get a, a drink bought for them. But I know one show we were at earlier this year, not only did exhibitors start packing down, the shell company then came in and started dismantling the shells with half an hour to go. And you just think, no. oh my God, why is the event organizer not here jumping on that straight away? Because it just sets the tone for everybody else thinking, oh yeah, it's okay now, it must be time to go home. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a known, and I know it's difficult. And I have been at other trade shows as well where there has literally been 
nobody there and then it's kind of like well okay what do they what are they exhibitors supposed to do when they're you know when literally everybody has gone so you, you can you can see it from an exhibitor's perspective but I just think if you've paid to do something for a full day do the full day yeah absolutely and if it is quiet and there's more than one of you on the stand it's a great time for somebody to just go around and have a really good look at all the other exhibitors stands what do you like what do you not like have you got any inspiration can you get chatting to anybody who you might be a supplier to they might be a supplier to you it's just a really good time to sort of walk the floor when it's quiet and other exhibitors will probably be happy to chat to you as well Exactly. And there's a lot of um, trade that happens between exhibitors. So, you know, we, we have very strict rules around, uh, you know, not selling to exhibitors um, at our show. And, and it goes on at all shows. You've got to kind of be there yeah. to, um, to to stop the people from doing it and, and, and see them in action kind of thing. But um, ex- trade between exhibitors is a completely different thing because there is that camaraderie, there is that sense of, oh, let me connect you with somebody, or, you know, did you speak to this client, I couldn't do anything for them, but you might be able to, let me give you their details. It's a great opportunity to have people doing something and using that time effectively, not just packing down and, you know, actually causing a health and safety risk. Yeah. Even if it's just pop-up stands, you know, you see them in the aisles, you, think, you know, it's not, it's not fair to your fellow exhibitors um, to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. So as we race into Christmas and 2019 already, um, what are you guys predicting as the hot trends for 2019 in the exhibitions industry? Whether it's going to happen as quick as 2019, but I do think technology and particularly um, AI, artificial intelligence, will have a role to play. I don't see that role... I don't think we're going to be, you know, walking to exhibitions and there's going to be all full of robots and nobody there. I still think we go to trade shows to connect with humans. That's that's why we go to them. So I don't see that, but I do think it's going to help us in terms of uh, being able to do things like marketing and um, profiling, you know, quicker, cheaper. We're going to have be able to make that customer experience better. Uh, one thing that, so in terms of technology, not necessarily AI, but the Association of Event Organisers commissioned some research a few years ago. They recommissioned it again for this year, uh, which is all about eye tracking technology to see where people, when they go into an exhibition, what they look at. And what was really interesting um, is that the last research found that people don't look up. So when we have headboards or we hang things from ceilings, People don't really look at that. They look very much down at the ground. Now, that eye-tracking research might show something different uh, this time around, but it's really interesting. So I think for exhibition organisers, it will help us share how we, um, well, where we position things, how we set things out. It creates marketing sponsorship opportunities based on where we know that people look. For people who are exhibiting, it will influence their stand design. So I think that whole technology will have a bigger impact but not in the way of not in a way we should fear not in a way of yeah. robots I think it will help us to spend more quality time with people as opposed to taking it away yeah. and I think that's a great point in terms of when people ask us about digital and you know our trade show is still relevant in the age of digital and it's about how you use digital to amplify what you're doing at a trade show not replace it so exactly as you say trade shows are about that face-to-face they're about the human contact but digital gives you a great way to talk about what you're going to be doing at a show and using content to engage with people. And I think what you're saying is very much about how does technology help us, everybody, exhibitors and event organisers, do trade shows better, not replace them. 
Absolutely. So it helps us reach more people. It helps us say all that engagement beforehand. It helps us connect. People can sort of see, you know, it can draw us to an exhibitor because of what they're doing digitally, and, you know, whatever they're doing. And but the reason why we go to a trade show is for the experience and, and that human connection. Yeah, no, absolutely. And long may that continue. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> we all spend far too much time behind screens. So it's, it's great having spent two days engaging with actual people at very different trade shows in Excel. It's great just to have a bit of a, a human contact. Yeah. So there's some fantastic advice we've got in there and some, um, I know some really valuable feedback that our listeners are going to take away and hopefully employ in their um, trade show campaigns for 2019. Emma, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what are your contact details, please? So you can get me on LinkedIn, uh, just Emma Cartmel, uh, the email address, emma.cartmel at chsgroupuk.com. Perfect. And if anybody missed that, please do get in touch with us via the website or the newsletter or um, Twitter and we can pass on Emma's details. So thank you so much for your time today, Emma. Really, really enjoyed uh, talking to you and uh, hope you have a fantastic 2019. You too. Thank you very much. Some great advice there from Emma and hopefully a lot of information that you're going to find really useful as you go ahead and plan your 2019 campaign. So in a couple of weeks, we will be putting out episode nine of The Exhibitionist, the podcast, and a really interesting one for any of the event organisers out there and exhibition companies who are looking to ways to recruit new talent. We're going to be speaking with Evangeline Morrison, who is an operations executive in the consumer department at Clarion Events. And Evangeline has recently graduated with an event marketing degree, but talks to us very much about things that surprised her about the industry and what she think of, thinks event companies can do to help good young talent with an easier transition into the industry. We all know it is a tough and punishing industry in terms of hours, flexibility and the demands that it makes on people and Evangeline's got some really interesting thoughts about how we could address that as an industry. So one not to miss in a couple of weeks if you're wanting to know uh, what more we can do as an industry to support young people coming through the ranks. Hope you've enjoyed today's episode and hope it's helping you form your ideas to generate even more ROI from your trade show campaigns in 2019. If you've been following us on social media, you will know that very excitingly, we have the front cover of The Exhibitionist, the book all signed off, and we will be going live with pre-orders on the website within the next couple of weeks. So make sure you get yours in early and you never know, you might get a signed author copy. So if you're keen to unleash your inner exhibitionist in 2019, then grabbing a copy of our book is a great place to start. Or you can follow us via our company pages, which on LinkedIn is 12th Man Solutions backslash Pro Extra, or on Facebook, 12th Man Solutions or Pro Extra as a separate page. Thank you again for listening. We really do appreciate. We know that you're downloading and listening online. We see the numbers coming in every week and we can't quite believe how many people we've got um, listening to this. So thank you so much for tuning in. If there's anything you want us to cover or a trade show trouble that you want answering, then please do get in touch. We would love to hear from you. And in the meantime, have a great couple of weeks. If you'd like more information about our book, The Exhibitionist, future podcasts and newsletters, please remember to pop over to inspiringexhibitors.com where you'll be able to find all the relevant information. Once again, thank you for listening.